Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, as well as TV show reviews and recastings, all of the nostalgic things from our past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And we have got two bi-species friendly groups that we are going to review (laughs) and talk about today. We are going to do a review of the 1989 film Milo and Otis, and we're going to review the early 90s Nicktoons show Ren and Stimpy. So we have both a cat and a dog in each review. They should be enemies, but they're the best of friends. What are we casting today, Adam? (laughs) Good question, John. We are going to be casting buddies, good friends, So, like, Milo and Otis are good friends, like, Ren and Stimpy are good friends. We are casting duos, if you will. So, our duos that we're going to cast are Jay and Silent Bob, Batman and Robin, the dynamic duo, Bonnie and Clyde, Thelma and Louise, and then Mork and Mindy. (laughs) So, just a random group of friends of duos that we're going to do casting. Yeah, there are quite a few duos we could have picked, but I, I I tried to narrow it down to some of the more fun ones or ones of shows or movies that maybe we wouldn't have reviewed. 1989, is that even the right year that we should be talking about right now, John? Well, it depends on uh, what country you were in when the movie was released, Adam. <laughs> uh, Milo and Otis uh, was released in the U.S., or I should say really in English-speaking countries, in 1989, but it actually came out in 1986 in Japan. It's a Japanese film. And we'll get into more of that and the past of it, but I figured since we all would have seen it in 89, that seemed like the, mm-hmm. the year to talk about. Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry our big, massive Japanese audience we're not pandering to you this time maybe <laughs> next episode we will <laughs> so we talked about 1989 not that long ago when we talked about bill and ted's a few other things to talk about top grossing movie of that year is a film that we're going to be reviewing very soon and that was tim burton's batman yeah i'm very excited about that one yeah definitely the billboard year-end top 100 single of that year is a pretty good song by a really good band that went a little cheesy in the 80s. And that was the song Look Away by Chicago. Chicago is one of those bands. They've been around a long time. Their sound changed as they went along. You know, some people love the early stuff. Some people like the later stuff. I don't know that many people who do, but I was saying, yeah, Look Away is not one that I immediately think of when I think of Chicago. No. A lot of those 80s Chicago songs, I think, are kind of in the realm of, at the time and in the 90s, we just kind of looked at them like, wow, these really are bad and cheesy. But <laughs> since we've had some distance on them and I go back and listen to some of the stuff, I'm like, you know what? It's, it's definitely an 80s sound. They're not horrible songs, but when I think of Chicago, I don't think of synthesizers. I think horns. Yeah, exactly. I think 25 or 64. I think Saturday in the Park. I 
I want to mention this because I just recently watched this this summer, and hopefully it's still on there. If you happen to have Netflix, there is a documentary about Chicago called Now More Than Ever, The History of Chicago. It's actually a really good uh, take on, on their history. I'm going to recommend that. A few other things of note. Adam, did you know that in 1989, McDonald's attempted to sell pizza? Oh, I've heard of it. I, I've seen that in like the I Love the 80s or I Love the 90s kind of those shows. Uh, yeah, like the, was it called the Mick Pizza or some shit like that? Something like that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely a failed attempt. That was also the release of the game console, the Sega Genesis. Oh, good. We did not have that. I, I had a friend, Stephen Namark, who I don't believe is, listens to the podcast, <laughs> but... <laughs> But he had the Sega Genesis, and I would hang out at his place and play that. And we, yeah, we, we, I think, yeah, it was it was good times. The person I actually remember um, most playing Sega Genesis with was actually our cousin Matt. Oh, nice. Our cousin Matt had one, and every time we would go up to Iowa, where Adam and I were both born and a lot of our extended family are, and he had one, and I would play, we would play the X-Men game. Oh, yeah. Fucking good. Which one, and I loved being Nightcrawler. That was my favorite one. He was the cool because he zipped around on yeah, it exactly. all over. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, Adam, you're going to like this one. 1989 saw the premiere of a little television show initially called The Seinfeld Chronicles. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, yeah. I remember when I go back and I rewatch Seinfeld quite a bit. When I do watch like that pilot, it, I do see they still have that mm-hmm. the Seinfeld Chronicles, the title card and stuff, and it's just like, oh, I'm glad they changed the name. But probably one of the greatest comedies of all time. I according to me, not yeah. <laughs> It definitely had an impact. I can't. I can't say it was a a bad show because it definitely had an impact on culture and society at the time, and even still till now. So that's 1989 for you. Well, our 1989 includes this scrappy little cat and this pug-nosed little dog, Milo and Otis, and we are going to get that going. Right, Milo and Otis came out in the U.S. in 1989. This film was narrated by Dudley Moore, at least the English version. Uh, it has a runtime of only one hour and 15 minutes, so it's pretty short. Which was actually cut down from the Japanese version, which was an hour and a half. I'm kind of glad it got cut <laughs> down, uh, as I'll mention later, but I'll mention now. I thought it even kind of dragged. It, it was... I did too. There were times when I thought, okay, hour 15, that won't be that long. And I was thinking, oh yeah, we're coming up on the end. And then it would keep going. Yeah. Yes. This film was directed by Masanori Hata. This is his only directing credit. So can't talk about him. The U.S. story was written by Mark Saltzman, who has done other good writing credits. Uh, He's worked on Sesame Street, Blue's Clues. He also wrote the sequel, Three Ninjas Kickback. Oh, yeah. They're the sequel of that movie. Yeah, so, which uh, is on our list. That one, The first one and the second one are on our list to do. We'll see when we get to them. Yeah, it's a pretty damn big list. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah no kidding. <laughs> we got to start going weekly, John. <laughs> if we want to get through this through our lifetime. It's literally going to take us 10 years to get through our list yeah. if we just do every other week. <laughs> so this film starts off with this super cute song, Walk Outside. We're going to take a walk outside today. Going to see what we can find today. We're going to take a walk outside today. Going to see what we can find today. 
On a pretty little farm, the sun comes up on a curious cat and a pug nose pup. A brand new Which, I've got to say, I com- almost completely forgot about that song until I th- had the DVD going and it was starting up. And I was like, oh yeah, Milo and Otis' <laughs> song. It's so cute. It's so cute. <laughs> it's very much a kid's song. It was actually written by a guy named Dick Tarrier and was performed by Dan Crow. And this is the only... Wait, wait. It's a song about a dog, and his name is Dick Terrier. <laughs> Dick, he's a Dick Terrier. Ooh, that's a different type of dog. Okay, never mind. Terrier. Yeah, and perfor- uh, performed by Dan Crow, uh, who is just a uh, performer of children's songs. He does children's albums and stuff like that. And I believe this—that's the only original music in this film. Okay. Everything else is might have been performed for it, but it's all classical stuff. There are cues taken from other movies. Okay. Specifically, there are cues taken from To Kill a Mockingbird, The Witches of Eastwick. So it's, so it's basically just using like others' music and like made it work for this film. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of classical music that they didn't have to pay rights for, so. Love it. Uh, I love things were in public domain. <laughs> so now we're kind of like starting the film after that awesome, super cute song, and we get Dudley Moore's voice. Except for the activity up in the hayloft, the farm was pretty quiet that morning. It really... And I'm sure this is what they were trying to do, but it really gives me an idea of someone reading a story from a book to me. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what I get. That's exactly what I get by, by listening to it. I mean, Dudley Moore does different little voices for, for different characters, and it just, it works really well. It's as if, you know, you had like a, you know, your dad or an old grandpa or something who would read a story and do different voices for different characters. And it, and it worked really well. It's a really cute thing. You totally could just listen to it, not watch it, and still understand everything that was going on. Absolutely. So we get a very brief introduction to the farm that that they live on, and we get the birth of Milo. And then we meet Otis very quickly after that. And just to say, Milo is a tabby cat, and Otis is a pug. We get cute early scenes of, like, Milo and his mother talking to him, and he's kind of like, you know, the outgoing, he-does-what-he-wants kind of kid, if you will. I want to point out, there's a line that I always, I love the way that Dudley Moore delivers it, and it's the line, And Milo, I've told you again and again, please don't walk on the chickens. Please don't walk on the chickens. (laughs) Do you know know that line? Yeah. And it's, it's just funny. Dudley Moore does a fantastic job. Yeah, so we're getting that Milo is, he's the adventurous one. Uh, we see him kind of fall into the river at one point and the mom has to go help him. We get another a cute scene after this of Milo and Otis. They play hide and seek. Otis, using his dog smell, can always find where Milo is. You're in the pipe, Milo. Try again. How does he do that? Milo wondered. And he tried another spot. Oh, not the old puss in boots trick, Otis groaned. Cats in the can, Otis shouted. And Milo slipped off to another hiding place. And that's one of my probably one of my more memorable scenes in this film. Like this rewatching this film, it actually kind of reminded me of when we talked about Land Before Time mm-hmm. and how I forgot so much about Land Before Time until every scene or every shot came up. I was like, oh, yeah, that shot. Oh, yeah, that shot. Yeah. This was very similar to where I was just like, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Like, yeah, every little bit of it is just like, okay, this is it's all kind of coming back to me. Yeah. Next, we get a random scene of they have to watch this chicken egg. (laughs) Uh, There's this, you know, one hen called Gloria who has Otis be the watchdog for the egg. Uh, we see Milo, he heads out and he runs into some uh, newborn birds. Another one of those things that just kind of like flooded back when when Milo is on the tree and he's just like smacking the shit out, out of, of the, the bird. bird. Yeah. Yeah. Like the baby. I always thought that was hilarious. Like how the hell? It is impressive how they got 
the, particularly Milo, because he was the more adventurous one, how they got him to do as much as they did, like the smack in the bird, or, or just, I guess they took that footage and just created a story with it. I'm not sure. Well, apparently the film, the original film was filmed over four years. Oh, wow. They went through probably close to like 100 hours of footage that they probably used to create the story based on what they saw. That makes sense. I don't know exactly how they, if they, if they had a story in mind. I really, well, I mean, I guess you could have a, a range of a story and then just take the details from what you see. I mean, it's very similar to like documentary filmmaking you ha- or, or reality filmmaking. Right. Is you basically, you have to create the story in post. Yeah. That's exactly what they did here. Without Dudley Moore's narration, it wouldn't make any fucking sense. Right. <laughs> it would just be like random scene, random scene, random scene. They're not cohesive. But with the narration, it's kind of what makes it. Yeah. But yeah, I could I could probably watch Milo smacking that bird <laughs> over and over again. I could try to turn that into a gif and that would I'd find it hilarious. Which you could never do today. No. Oh, speaking. Okay, I want to go into this next scene and we'll definitely dive into that. Okay. Then we got a frog, like this random frog <laughs> just around who's talking to Milo and he's about he's, he's talking to Otis, I guess it is, and yeah. he's talking about Milo being a little shit. <laughs> and here we then and we get a scene of Milo being adventurous, you know, poking his face into things he shouldn't, where you have a crab pinching the face of the cat, of Milo. Yeah. Which, when I was a kid, I, you know, I probably just thought it was funny. Ha ha. Now, I just kind of think it's pretty fucking cruel. Yeah. Like, that they that they made a crab pinch the cat. And, and then I kind of just like, just looking up on Wikipedia very briefly, yeah. there was apparently some animal cruelty shit with this yeah. film that I had no idea. Yeah, there was a, a le- like, a tons of alleged incidents of cruelty. There allegedly 20 of the kittens died from being placed into less than ideal circumstances and as you watch it you realize this is way before cg those are that's you know those are real cats doing those real things yes there was also apparently one where uh, someone alleged that one of the producers broke the foot of one of the cats to get it to limp that's fucked up it is (laughs) and just other you know other things like that and uh the U.S. looked into it, but there was no way to verify any of it. I don't know for, for sure. The group that instigated the investigation into it was an Australian animal rights one. Because it makes me think that maybe the film was shot in Australia. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because it, it kind of, you know, it, it looks like it could be Austra- like kind of Australian. It's kind of hard to tell. Though. It's it, hard it, to yeah, tell. It, it could be any sort of farmland area. So it's really hard to tell. What got me about the scene with the crab was it talked about a farm crab. I don't know any farms that keep yeah. cra- <laughs> that keep crabs on it true but when the u.s investigated they had no way of actually confirming anything so nothing was really done but if you go and look it up you can see kind of all the things that were alleged that what happened it is quite disturbing it's a whole new way to look at this film uh, so still try to take it as like you know oh how i saw it as a kid but yeah thinking about that and every time yeah you're right seeing what they did to these cats and knowing that they possibly killed what did you, you said like 20 kittens yeah up to 20 kittens had died holy shit god damn so anyway uh <laughs> let's get, try to get back to this cute film what's on what's on film is cute yeah. um yeah not the behind the scenes so we go back to the egg and uh we see that there's a hedgehog who's trying to take the egg i mean we don't actually see milo getting pricked here but just kind of a funny little scene. Milo wants to investigate this weird looking hedgehog and, you know, he gets pricked out and it's hilarity ensues. 
Then we get the egg is starting to hatch and we get a really, really good shot. What I like of while the egg is kind of twitching, it's in a soft focus in the foreground, but you have a great shot of Milo kind of like stalking up to it, being like curious, like what the hell is this thing? And it looks really good to me. Just the way that they, they shot that particular shot, I always thought looked really fucking good. So the chick hatches and it sees Otis first and it thinks Otis is his mommy uh, and it kind of keeps following around. Otis, which is, it's cute. I mean, I've already said cute probably like 15 times and I, <laughs> I, I, I can switch it between cute and adorable, but like, it is what it is. That's what this film is like meant to be. It's just meant to be an hour and 15 minutes of cute porn. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah. like, here's tons of kittens and cats and dogs and just cuteness all over you. It's baby animals. What more do you want? Exactly. Maybe if they had like little hats on or something. Be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> little bow ties. Bow yeah, yeah, that'd be it. Yeah. yeah, I think we got something here, John. <laughs> <laughs> Million dollar idea. Milo and Otis too. You and I, we're going to write yeah. it. We're going to write it. <laughs> yeah, just kind of funny scene that Chicken thinks Otis is its mommy until eventually Otis kind of like scares it away, basically. We then get Milo and Otis are on the dock right where the river is and they run into like this lobster so there's crabs and lobsters apparently on this farm too (laughs) and hedgehogs and geese and ducks and yeah a bunch of stuff lamb but the lobster ends up pinching otis's little tail and it's just kind of funny i guess that's it that's the end of that scene yeah (laughs) uh and milo milo is hiding in the box that's kind of like floating in the river because it kind of throws back to that hide and seek game that they were playing earlier yeah and milo ends up floating away of course and he's going faster and faster and you know otis is trying to follow him so the box ends up kind of going to a shore and a bear he ends up running into a bear and otis comes to save the day and otis fights the bear and this is exactly where you kind of mentioned that there's no cg (laughs) that i mean it's not a huge bear it's like a little little black bear but they have a pug smacking a black bear in the fucking face (laughs) with its paws like it's like holy shit if that bear wanted to if it it decided like oh i don't want to trust my training today and i just wanted to eat a pug it could totally do it yeah i mean and the pug gets whacked a few times by the bear anyway you see it i definitely you definitely see that I want to say, oh, I hope that pug didn't get hurt, but knowing what you said before, I feel probably bad for it now. Yeah. But Otis kind of saves the day and he leads the bear away from Milo to protect him. Uh, Milo ends up still kind of drifting uh, away in this waterfall. The box and Milo ends up kind of going over the this waterfall, uh, which wasn't a huge waterfall. And actually, they, uh, this honestly, I, I would not doubt if this was a, a, one of the spots that they lost some of the kittens, which is really fucking unfortunate. Because like the shot that they got, the box goes over this little waterfall. It's probably like, I don't know, 20 foot waterfall, maybe not even that big. No. Maybe like a 10, 10 foot. But if that box would have capsized or turned upside down, right. which it didn't on the shot that was used, then it could have been pretty pretty dangerous for the cat. And how many shots did it take them to get it to where the box didn't flip over? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, we'd like to think that they got it on the first take and the cat wasn't harmed, but realistically, probably not. Yeah, I don't want to think about it, John. <laughs> I know. You want to think of the, of the potential of how many dead kittens are at the bottom of that <laughs> waterfall. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Well, we lost that one. Grab another one, put it in the box. Come here for your dark Dead kitten humor. I know, uh, Jesus. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, okay, but now it's kind of getting into nighttime. And Otis, being the ever loyal and brave dog that he is, he's still trying to follow. And we get here a really cute song, uh, which I always thought was cute. Otis singing to himself, and he sings. 
Here comes the dog, strong and brave. Woo! Here comes the dog, your life he... It's cute. I like it. I, for some reason, that's another one of the things that kind of like, you know, I have in the back of my brain. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Eventually, Otis finds the box in this deadwood swamp, but it's empty. Milo's not there. Milo probably drowned in the waterfall, but no, Milo's somewhere else. Milo was elsewhere. He kind of runs into this fox, which is just kind of funny. The, again, the voices that Dudley Moore uses, I really like the voice that he used for the fox. He's kind of like this wiry, like, you know, if someone was a little bit on meth or something, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of how he acted and it, it kind of worked. I know, I'll put it around here somewhere. Oh, baby. Mm. Oh. A fun little scene of the fox is trying to hide his lunch uh, and Milo, you know, it kind of ends up stealing it from him after the fox gets freaked out and runs away. Another cute little scene. Another cute. Here's cute counter. (laughs) Ding. (laughs) Another cute counter of Otis is trying to talk with these clams to try and get some information and they shoot water in his face. Probably had a water gun and (laughs) shot the pug in the face with water gun. That's just that's how that probably works. While he's kind of in this area, the tide comes in and Otis is on this rock when all this water just comes flooding in and he can't get off of it. And here we get another kind of fun little random scene, though. A sea turtle comes over to to help him and Otis hops on the back of the sea turtle to take him to shore. And it's just, again, I thought for a while, I was like, oh, that's obviously a fake sea turtle until it started like moving properly. Yeah. And like, I doubt that they use animation. I was like, they know. So they got that fucking pug to stand on that sea turtle. Yeah, I doubt a sea turtle would let that happen. I'm just guessing here. What I imagine has happened is they'd have somebody maybe in a scuba suit holding the uh, turtle up at the top and then just moving the sea turtle forward so that it goes in the right direction. If I were shooting Milo and Otis too, <laughs> that's how I would do it. Okay. Just to make sure that the act, what you wanted to do happen. Yeah, because the, the sea turtle would probably like not be happy and try to submerge or something. And so there's probably... So it's, you're freaking out the sea turtle. <laughs> so one animal, one way or another, is probably getting freaked out. Right. I'm sure the dog's not happy either. <laughs> but all right. So Otis gets to shore. He ends up running into the same fox that Milo saw earlier. Uh, we got a cute, fun little discussion between about tails, about dog tails, which I thought was really kind of <laughs> cute. How can you be a dog? You have no tail. Otis was outraged. I certainly do. Look. Ha! You call that a tail? This is a tail. Ha ha ha! And with that, the fox jumped away laughing. Milo finds a railroad and he ends up following it. Uh, he eventually runs into a deer. This this whole movie is just little random scene next to little random scene. None of it is cohesive. Yeah. <laughs> None of it really matters, honestly. Yeah. A lot of them just, they don't really move the story anywhere. Correct. They're just little encounters. Because, I mean, literally, there's not much to the story. Dog meets cat. Cat gets lost. Dog tries to find cat. They make their way home. And that's more or less the story. Yes, that's the basics. So Otis is still following. Uh, We get night comes. We see Milo runs into, like, this owl and has, like, a a weird conversation about a dream nest. Yeah. (laughs) Like that was that part was weird. Yeah, uh, and we kind of get what, like a dream sequence of how he misses the farm. Like that whole section really, <laughs> really was weird. The whole dreamness. I thing. know uh, it feels like a stretch, it, and it just the cats dreaming and all that. We didn't ha- we didn't really have any other non realistic stuff in this film besides that. And so that 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 whole scene I just thought was kind of weird. It was sort of a, a the weird nature documentary esque scene where the owl comes down and grabs the field mouse. It's just sort of like, okay, I, I really don't know what the point of this is. 
Yeah, they're well, trying to set up the danger. So now we're hearing like this pig screaming, like a little baby pig is screaming, oh, yeah. and Milo hears it. And so yeah, I guess it's setting up that the owl, uh, the screech owl, which I think they call them screechers or whatever, mm-hmm. came down, ate the field mouse. So I think that we're assuming. I think that was exactly why. Is okay. like, oh my god, another owl is gonna come kill this baby pig, and you can kill mice, that's fine, but don't kill a little baby pig. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess that's what they were trying to set up. But Milo ends up helping the pig, it takes him back to his family. We get a funny little cute scene of the mom pig is, you know, leaned over and letting all the babies drink milk from her teat, and in comes Milo, and he's drinking pig milk. <laughs> okay, I don't know, it gets kind of cute. Cut to the next scene, Milo's at a brook. He's using his tail as a fishing line, trying to catch a fish. But uh, which he does actually successfully a a fish chomps on his tail, which at that point I imagine was fake when it was at least they probably just like snapped it on his tail. Right. And then he was running and then they cut to like a real one as it's flopping. Uh, So the fish out of water flopping a fish screaming for for air, if you will, for water. Yeah. So a lot of so much animal suffering (laughs) in this film. (laughs) Holy shit. Just thinking about it. Oh, but a raccoon ends up stealing or tries to snatch the the fish but then out of nowhere comes this bear again and he's kind of fighting with the raccoon for the fish which then the bear's like yeah fuck a fish i want to eat a cat (laughs) which is not typical meal for a bear i don't think of any bear would drop a fish that's already dead an easy meal to go for a cat that is much harder to get but i don't know I don't know much about bear science. I only took like three bear biology classes <laughs> at, at school, so we didn't get to that. But Milo gets away from the bear in the trees. Then we're just going to see Milo. He's still hungry because he didn't get to eat that fish. So he's now going to be going after seagull eggs. While he's trying to do that, he gets attacked by seagulls, which honestly looked really bad. It looked really real. It looked like, and I'm sure it was, like the seagulls were really attacking this cat and it did not look good. No. They used just like a couple shots. I was like, fuck, I feel bad for that cat. And to escape the seagulls, Milo has to jump over a cliff and that sure as shit was not CG. Yeah. You can bet your bottom dollar they just chucked a kitten over a cliff. It did not really look like a, a fake cat. No, I, I, I doubt it was. It looked like a real kitten. Like they just like, all right, toss him over. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, the film Milo is safe uh, and he finds an abandoned shack. But of course, the bear is there and the bear finds him. We get a really, really cute scene of Milo kind of outsmarting the bear in this dresser while he's kind of popping his head out of different holes to try to kind of confuse and disorient the bear. Super cute. This is one of those scenes where I had forgotten it until I saw him go into the dresser and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember what happens right here. Yeah, it kind of flooded back. It was was really fun, really cute. But Milo ends up getting away by having this, I don't know what it was, like a big bowl or something dropping on the bear's head and the bear ran away in, in disorientation. Now we're just, we just keep getting, we're almost watching a fucking cat snuff film. Like really, <laughs> when you think about it, it's, it's just like, okay, what's going to try and it's like, it's like, it, this is, this is probably what Leonardo DiCaprio watched while prepping for the Revenant. And he had to be like, all right. I have to be like Milo because Milo is like, I'm almost going to get eaten by a bear. And then I'm running into like here. He's in a tree and he's almost going to get eaten by a snake. Uh, you know, or he's picked up by seagulls. Like this is very similar to the Revenant when you think about it. <laughs> I have to admit, I've actually not seen the Revenant yet. Fair enough. It's slow. God, is it slow? <laughs> I honestly don't really recommend it. It's 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 fine if you're like a film student and you can appreciate in like that kind of thing if you want to dissect it or right. whatnot. But it is it moves slow. I'm never going to watch it again. Should I just 
just YouTube the scene where he gets attacked by the bear? Yeah, exactly. And it, that's the best scene for sure. Or at least okay. the bear looks really good. The CGI bear looks awesome. But so here, the inspiration for the Revenant uh, is Milo. And he ends up kind of randomly in this pit. And here, after all of it, Otis finds him. And it's just kind of like, okay, Otis <laughs> Otis finds Milo in this pit. They're reunited. They have to figure out how to get him out. Uh, but he ends up kind of pulling him out with this rope that he finds. I don't know where the fuck he found this rope from. Right. He doesn't, he just like, oh, I, let me just go in the woods and I'll come back with rope. Like that doesn't make, right. <laughs> make any damn sense. But he pulls him up. They're finally back together. We get this really kind of like simple music. You said it, so the music wasn't written for them, but the music here at this point, I specifically kind of remember almost as like their theme, but it's probably from something else, as you mentioned. Right. But it's just like, yeah, it's it's a, just a simple, cute kind of music, but I think it works well for this story. Yeah. At this point, Milo runs into a female cat named Joyce. They have Joyce join them as they all start kind of heading back. Now we're getting into some like Shakespearean shit <laughs> uh, where Otis is jealous uh, and he's lonely, and he doesn't like that Milo and Joyce are getting closer and closer together. In his little tragic story, he is angry, and he leaves them, and he runs away. And he leaves them to their own. See, to me, the, right at this point is where the movie should have just ended. From here, they just make it back to the farm, and that's it. Gotcha. Yeah, well, all three of them? or just No, just, no, we don't even need the other cat. Just Milo and Otis. Because this is the point where we have, like, basically it's a whole another story. It doesn't yeah. feel like a continuation of the original story. It takes a completely different angle. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, but we'll keep, let's keep talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Like the journey should be them getting back to the farm, not them finding love. Right. <laughs> which, which is what they did. So now it's winter. We get a cute little shot of like Otis in the snow, you know, but you know, it's sad. He's trying to find his way and walk around and he ends up running into another pug, not Sandra, but Sandra, the French pronunciation. <laughs> uh-huh. She's a pretentious little bitch. <laughs> Literally. Sandra. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally. Uh, and of course, they fall in love. And so now both Milo and Otis have their significant others. And guess what, John? They get it on. <laughs> While they're in winter, They uh, we don't see them getting it on, but we can imply it because fast forward a little bit through the winter and they're giving birth to kittens and puppies. You see the birth. I was a little surprised. Like, oh, that's a fucking cat pregnancy coming out at me. Uh, it was very quick, but I... Yeah, I caught it. it, yep. it I don't, it's not something that I remember, but it's something that might be burned in my brain now. <laughs> Milo and Otis are a little bit older, obviously, now because time has passed. And at this point, Otis's family is in danger because they don't have enough food. And so he goes out to find food. There's a storm that comes and he's kind of distraught, but he's motivated by saving his family. You know, at one point it was like, he even says, maybe I should just lie here and, and end it right. and just be done with it. And it's just like, but no, I'm going to do it for my family. It's like, holy fuck. Yeah. This is... <laughs> That's some this deep, dark pretty, shit. This is deep shit. Yes. It's like, holy, I did not really remember that. <laughs> but eventually he finds like this little house and he runs into Milo. I always thought it was kind of weird because they've been apart again for a while. And they're just like, oh, hi, Otis. Hi, Milo. And they're just like, okay, they're back together. There's not like a big fanfare of them reuniting. Right. Milo shares his fish with Otis. And then we, so you can assume Otis saved his family uh, with the fish and they're eating and they're fine. But now it's come springtime. And they decided that they wanted to meet up. And so the families meet up. We get all of them together. uh, And they lead their families back to the farm, back to home. And now the movie ends with them (laughs) on their journey back home where it should have ended earlier. Right. Once again, we get that. 
that cute song, Walk Outside. Now the journey's over and we're heading back home with a very good friend, you're never alone. Stories to tell, stories to hear, be a lot more in the coming year. We're gonna take a walk outside today, gonna see what we can find today. And that's how the film ends. And that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll let me go ahead and start with some of my final thoughts, which... I really, really remember liking this movie when I was a kid. It was super cute, and it absolutely holds up when it comes to cuteness as a film. But as an adult, I think just too much about the shit they had the animals do. Yeah. And I don't like thinking like that right now. (laughs) So I didn't like that aspect. Also, I felt the movie was just, it was very disjointed as I kind of already mentioned before, it's very jumpy from scene to scene. It was completely random scene to completely random scene. The narration helps that, but without the narration, this would not work at all. Like, they could not make that work without the story of that Dudley Moore kind of gives over on the top of everything. And in general, I felt this was pretty fucking slow watching it as an adult. And partly because there was no story that kind of kept me moving. It was just jumpy to jumpy scene. And so that was uh, all fairly disappointing. But that being said, I still think the movie is still pretty fucking cute. If you can, if you can pull that part out of your head, (laughs) if you can pull out the logic and like the humanity, if you can become like a sociopath, for just like 90 minutes, this might be a perfect movie for you. <laughs> it's still cute, and I would totally show this movie to a kid who likes animals, and then I'd show it to him, and then I would never tell him any of the backstory, and hope, hopefully, it's like, like Santa Claus, hopefully they'll never learn anything <laughs> about it. But yeah, so as an adult, the movie's fucked up. As a kid, I do still think it's pretty damn cute. Well, it's funny you say that, because that's pretty much what exactly I did. Mm. I watched this film with both of my children. I was able to get them excited about it. I was excited to watch it with them. I wasn't necessarily excited to watch it on my own. So your daughter in particular likes animals a lot. Yes. So I would, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious how, how she felt. So we, we watched it actually on her birthday. It was kind of one of the things we did together on her birthday. And I just, I kind of sold it to her like, hey, it's about, a you know, a cat and a dog. It's about, he's got baby animals. I also got to sell it to my son because he's been on this big kick lately where he wants a pug. That's what he wants. Oh, <laughs> Like, that's the dog okay. he wants as a pug. So I was like, sweet, I can I can sell them both through it. To my son's credit, he made it about halfway, or about 30 minutes into the movie before he got bored, <laughs> which is honestly longer than I thought. <laughs> my daughter made it all the way to the part where I said it should have ended. Then she was like, is it over yet? <laughs> to her, it should have just been like a like an episode of a TV show or something like that. Like it, After a while, she was like, okay, the, the cat keeps doing funny things and that's it. And so she got bored of it. And so <laughs> I had to watch the last little bit of it, like the last 10, 15, 20 minutes of it by myself. Ugh. I didn't like it. I didn't like it going back. I remember loving the movie fondly. I remember, as I mentioned before, I remember certain scenes as it goes along. Yes, there was a lot of cute factor. Yes, the apparent animal cruelty did bother me watching it now. I mean, if you have kids who just absolutely love animals, they'll probably like it. As an adult, I would not recommend you go watch it again. Yeah, yeah, stay away from it. (laughs) So I... I really don't have too many positive things to say about it. I'm glad I just rented it and didn't buy it. Sometimes we'll review a movie where we're like, well, I'm going to buy that because I know after we watch it, I'm going to love it and I'll watch it again, which occasionally I'll regret <coughs> Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> but with this one, I knew I was like, you know what? I'm just going to rent it because I don't think it's it's not going to last. And exactly like I thought would happen, my kids kind of had an interest in it. And then after a while, it was too long and they'll never ask me to, to watch that again. So. So that's that's kind of a, my roundabout final thoughts on that. 
All right. Stay the fuck away from Milo and Otis. Uh, and we are going to scrub our brains of that terrible animal cruelty. And we'll move on to Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy, the Nicktoons cartoon, ran from 1991 to 1995. That was the original run. It went for five seasons and 52 episodes. Um, it did have a eventually a kind of like a spin-off or a rebranding. Honestly, it called it's called Ren and Stimpy Adult Cartoon Show, I think, uh, which I didn't really really watch. But the voice of Ren, who Ren's full name is Ren Hoke, and that was done by the creator of the show, John Crifalusi. Crick Falusi? I, I, yeah, really have trouble pronouncing his name. Well, at least I'm home. I can follow my intellectual pursuits. I offer records! Covered in bubblegum! But he did the original voice of Ren up until like 1993. And the voice of Stimpy, his full name is Stimpson J. Cat, is done by Billy West. What you need is a warm glass of milk. Don't go away. And eventually, Billy West took over both voices after 1993. He did both Ren and Stimpy. I'll give you to the count of three to get in bed. One, two, three. If you don't know anything about Ren and Stimpy, Ren is an asthma hound chihuahua. Right. So he's a chihuahua. And Stimpy is just a, a cat. <laughs> I, I didn't. They didn't really say what type he's of cat. He's a Manx cat. A Manx cat. Okay. Ren is very short-tempered. He is just like, you know, over-the-top, crazy angry. He's he's very similar to Mo from the Three Stooges, mm-hmm. in my opinion, where Stimpy is kind of stupid, a little dim-witted. He's very much like the curly type of the Three Stooges. I would actually go so far as to say he's maybe more of the Larry, and I'm only basing this on the fact that Billy West based the voice of Stimpy on Larry Fines. Oh, that's funny. But Curly's like the the big kind of oafish yeah. one, right? That's just, that's kind of why I attributed him to Stimpy. But that is fair, matter. though. But uh, so this this show was one of the three original Nicktoons. So Nickelodeon at first didn't do cartoons. The first three cartoons that they put out were Rugrats, Doug, and Ren and Stimpy. And I believe they all premiered at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So they they, they kind of came out as their Nicktoons lineup, uh, and so this was one of those. There's really no premise of the show. <laughs> there is really no story whatsoever um, that would go from episode to episode. Uh, it was just basically like 10-minute shorts, like halves of each episode, uh, and anything could happen. Yeah. Literally anything could be the story. It was There was a lot of creative freedom in that writing room, you could tell. And it was a very different animation style than what we saw because the yeah. animation style would change a lot. When you went from a faraway shot to a close-up, the drawing style would change. And you see that now in a lot of stuff, like even SpongeBob does stuff like that. I think this was a huge impact on SpongeBob, yeah. definitely. That aspect of kind of when they go in go in from like an animation to like they do either like a like a punch-in or a close-up or any kind of like still frame on something. It's a totally different animation style. Like the, the lighting is different, you know, if you yeah. will. And it's got more detail or more kind of something to it. 
most of the time, I feel like they did it on like butts. I saw more still frame <laughs> butts than anything else rewatching this show. And usually whenever it was a still frame or a close up, it was something gross. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But not even just that, the facial contortions yeah. that they do with both Ren and Stimpy, the manipulations are so unique in this show that I th- absolutely think SpongeBob, and I'm pretty sure it had to have pulled a lot from the show uh, because there's very similar, like SpongeBob is so ridiculous with his facial features, it reminded me a lot of Ren or Stimpy, honestly, depending. Right. I actually quite respect the animation style in this show. A lot of other stuff, you know, we've talked about like something from like, uh, for just for example, like the X-Men cartoon, the animation was only okay, you know, or other stuff was the animation was was eh, okay. This animation, I think it kind of propelled the animation, just how unique and how many different faces Ren and Stimpy made. And like, you know, when they got angry, their eyes would just bulge and like pull completely out of their socket. The way that they would scrunch their faces or do other stuff yeah. was so interesting and different that, yeah, I I really, really enjoyed looking at the animation nowadays. I saw a uh, short interview with uh, John Criff... Criff- oh. Crick Falsy. <laughs> John K. John K. Yeah. I saw a short interview with John K. And he talked about how up until that point, all the sort of facial emotions that every character had was basically sort of either happy, sad, or perplexed. And that was it. And so he encouraged his animators to never draw the same expression twice. Try to vary it up every single time and, and do something different each time. And that is definitely something that you get uniquely to Ren and Steppy up till that point. Nowadays, you see it a, lo- a lot more and stuff, but he was wasn't going to be the person who's like, well, this is the way we've always done it. He's going to be, well, that's, you know, I want to do something different. I want to go somewhere else with it. And it needs to look unique. And it, it definitely looks unique. I mean, if you compare them, first of all, let's be honest. Ren and Stimpy had no business being on Nickelodeon. Yeah, it's a fucked up show. Nowadays, it would be on Adult Swim. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be perfect on Adult Swim. And for a while, I think they actually ran it on MTV. Okay, yeah, yeah, they did. I remember, like, later in the 90s, they showed it in syndication on MTV, which seemed much more appropriate than actual Cartoon Network. Like, putting it beside, like, Beavis and Butthead or other kind of things like that makes a lot more sense. Right. I mean, I remember this show being really weird as a kid. This was not a show that I fully loved. It was a show that I knew of and I saw plenty of it, but I didn't, like, love it because it was, I think, a little too weird for me. (laughs) And rewatching it... That just completely reaffirmed my thoughts as a kid. (laughs) It's just like, oh yeah, this is really fucking weird. This is really quirky and different now still. And and that's probably why I think it kind of holds up Uh because it's so different. Particularly in the 80s, you're so used to the same animations over and over and over. And this one, just you're getting crazy ass storylines and crazy ass animation to go along with it, that it was something totally different. And I think that's pretty cool. But also like, you know, for a show that was definitely as a kid, I thought it was like, oh, that's kind of weird and that's quirky. When I watch it now, I'm like, oh, that's just a massive fucking drug-induced acid trip. Like, <laughs> that's what this show is. There are so, so many drugs that had to be involved in this show that I didn't think about when I was younger. But yeah, it's cool. I mean, but it's cool. It's, it's cool kind of going back to see it and be like, looking at how different it was. But the, the show itself, besides just being unique, it was over the top. So this show was complete and utter insanity there was so much yelling in the uh, like ren ren all he did was yell his his lines for the last time i want you to be quiet all the jokes were 
about gross stuff. It was about farts. It was about butts. It was about boogers yeah. that would talk to you. It was about drool or violence or vomit or anything, uh, anything that was gross. And there was a bunch of hidden adult humor as well as a bunch of dark humor. Mm-hmm. There was some really dark shit in some of the ones that I watched. And literally anything could happen and it could go into any direction from any point. So I think what attracted this show to kids was literally just the over-the-topness. Those kids and myself, you know, when I was younger, totally didn't understand what the hell was happening. Mm-hmm. There's no way kids understood what the hell was happening with this show. But Ren and Stimpy would do it in such over-the-top way that, that kids would latch onto it and they would find it funny. I remember loving the show for it being over the top and frankly gross. Yeah. <laughs> and it being different. I mean, nowadays, going back and uh, I didn't get to any full episodes, but I did watch some clips here and there. I had nowadays, I had a hard time watching some of the stuff. I was like, oh, that was unnecessary. That was unnecessary. <laughs> As a kid, I loved it. I ate it up. <laughs> Farts. <laughs> Boogers. <laughs> Exactly. I think the show is definitely important. Whether or not you like the show, it was an it was an important change and an important milestone in TV animation. And I don't think we would have some of the sort of great adult style animated cartoons now that you wouldn't have unless you had Ren and Stimpy. The other one that would go along with that would be The Simpsons. The Simpsons yeah, and yeah, Ren and Stimpy. The Simpsons though, they took a different path, but you like you wouldn't have stuff like well, first of all, you obviously wouldn't have SpongeBob because there's obviously some kind of direct influence there. You wouldn't have shows like probably like Family Guy, Rick and Morty, or Adventure Time, or stuff like that without shows, or, you know, maybe even specifically without Ren and Stimpy. When I think of Family Guy, honestly, I think of it's like someone just smushed Simpsons and Ren Ren and Stimpy Stimpy kind of together. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, I mean, this show, it's, yeah, when you think of it, it is, it's slapstick to the extreme. Uh Hardcore slapstick comedy very similar to the three stooges and i think that's probably what was a bit of a was what helped develop this show but it's yeah it's, it's just ridiculous it's gross <laughs> uh, i watched an episode where stimpy he farts and he names his fart and he named it stinky and he spends the entire episode trying to find his his little stinky again <laughs> like but he he was like it was getting sad and it literally sad to the point where it almost reminded me of like you know that futurama episode where fry has his dog yeah and the dog is just kind of like it's sad and it's waiting out at the end and he tries to like recapture that love of that dog but the dog is like you know it died earlier a full life it was almost to that level it takes things to the extreme if it's gonna go in a dark humor direction or a dark direction it's gonna it's gonna go there hard Um, and then if it's gonna go gross it's gonna go there hard it is an interesting show to reevaluate and and just kind of dive into um one thing i definitely want to discuss is the use of music in this show there was a ton of classical music they used so much like calming instrumental classical like bl- like blue danube was right. one that they had like sh- like that kind of stuff they used those kind of songs and i thought it worked really well cuz it was juxtaposed with the complete insanity that was going on in the animation and the story and so i thought that was pretty cool and i just i really really like that aspect of it uh speaking and speaking of music i want to bring up the theme song yeah. it's a cool little theme song Yeah, it's instrumental. It's just, it's totally different. It's kind of fun. It's upbeat. It's kind of jazzy. And it's cool. It actually has a name. 
It's called Dog Pound Hop. It was written and performed by some of the uh, animation team from Spumco, which was the company that did the animation. That was John Kay's company. Nice. That's really cool. It is. It's a fun, it's a catchy little theme song. Also, there's st- there was an episode, or it was really wasn't even an episode. It was like a commercial within the episode that I've still sing today. <laughs> that came from this show, and I I've always sung it, and it was it's the the song for the commercial in the show for Log. What rolls downstairs? Log was awesome. There were some um, some things that really stick in my head. Like log is one of them. Powdered toast man came yeah. from this show, which is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had this other character, Mr. Horse, which was ridiculous. No, sir, I don't like it. Uh, you know, the thing that I think of so often when I think of Ren and Stimpy is just Ren screaming, you idiot, yeah. and slapping Stimpy, like, things like that. And then the show also had another song, similar enough with, like, Log, but it, it, I feel like it kind of expanded out past the show, and that is the song, Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy. Oh, yeah. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. So there are some iconic things from the 90s that came from this this show. It was good, and, and music in particular was really good. They also had different, like the ending music at the end was a little bit funkier and, and uh, quicker, but I, I liked that as well, and that was really kind of cool. <laughs> But uh, one thing that I definitely want to bring up was is rewatching this show as an adult. And so I watched probably maybe like four episodes mm-hmm. and I tried to span them out early. I watched like maybe one from season one, one from season two, one from three and four. And so like the first two seasons, like kind of the ones that I saw were particularly early on. It was just Ren and Stimpy were just kind of friends. They were just like a cat and a dog that lived together. But by like season three and season four, it kind of gradually turned it turned into a marriage. Uh-huh. And Ren was kind of like the husband, right. and Stimpy was like the like the housewife or the homemaker. Right. And Stimpy would stay home. They definitely turned them into a couple. And so I definitely realize now that so they were not you know just like oh hey friendly cat and dogs. Right. They were like the first interspecies same-sex couple. <laughs> when I think about it now, it's like, that's probably pretty progressive. It kind of sounds like it morphed from the Three Stooges into the Honeymooners. Yes, I, absolutely. I think you're right. Yeah. They definitely were a couple. I, at least when I, the more and more I think about it and the more I watch, because they definitely turned into that, that dynamic. Right. That's most I have to say. Like I wouldn't say that I love this series any more now than I did, but I will say I have a newfound respect for the uniqueness, the way that they did their animation, the way they did their music, the way that like this show obviously influenced other things and, and the creativity that it had on kids' cartoons since. I wasn't expecting to get that from the show. I, I thought I was just going to be like, oh, this is just dumb, gross humor. Right. But when I rewatch it and look at it, I'm like, fuck, this really impacted other things that have gone on to, to blow up in pop culture. So yeah. I'm, I'm probably not going to watch much of Ren and Stimpy ever again, but I'm going to be like, good job, John Kay. You did a good <laughs> job creating this show and the legacy that it had, I think it's 
is pretty freaking impressive. Yeah, as I mentioned before, I think it was a very important show. If you are a fan of a lot of this sort of adult cartoons that they have now, you know, Rick and Morty, uh, to a lesser degree, Adventure Time, any of Seth MacFarlane's stuff, um, even like Futurama, you kind of owe it to yourself to go see where a lot of this stuff started and go rewatch some Ren and Stimpy. And it may not, you know, like you said, it may not be the greatest now because it's been 20 years since... Oh, you know, over 20 years since this came out, but it's it's important to see where this stuff comes from and, you know, why we are able to have some of the great shoes. And I, I kind of actually think we're in a little bit of a mini second golden age of cartoons or maybe a third one. I think the first one was Looney Tunes and the second one was yeah. sort of the 90s kids cartoons that we got a lot of was sort of a second golden age of cartoons. And we're kind of in that now, but it seems to be it's more the sort of golden age is really more for adults now. Yeah, I agree. It's for the group that grew up with that. Especially now that, you know, when our parents were young, they watched cartoons. When they grew up, they were expected to act like adults. And that's not to say that we're not expected (laughs) to act like adults. I think our generation finally was like, listen, I loved that then. I loved it now. Why can't I watch it? Why can't I revisit this thing that I loved so much? Yeah, and and just that style doesn't mean it can't be an adult style or it works for multiple generations. Like right now, one of my favorite shows is Bob's Burgers. Uh And... There's a lot of adult stuff to it, and there's stuff I'm sure that kids like as well, but like, I agree. The range that cartoons hit nowadays is really impressive, and we're getting some really good stuff but everything from yeah like rick and morty steven universe other stuff is really really impressive yeah so i i kind of i agree that we are really at like another little like peak of cartoons right now if you're an adult and you've never seen it and you love those cartoons now go back and watch it and you you probably need to like boogers and farts too yeah This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by my buddy. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, I'll teach him everything that I know, my buddy and me, like to climb up a tree, my buddy and me, where the best friends could be, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me. My buddy from Play School. All right, and now we're going to do our casting portion of the show. And as Adam mentioned at the top, we are kind of going to be doing a bunch of different duos, a bunch of buddies, uh, if you will. We have five different uh, sort of pairs of people that we're going to put together. I'm going to kind of run them down. Uh, We're going to do Batman and Robin, Bonnie and Clyde, Thelma and Louise, Mork and Mindy, and Jay and Silent Bob. I'll kind of introduce each duo and characters or where it's from as i mentioned before i kind of tried to pick ones that i thought we would never recast or that we wouldn't normally recast because we wouldn't have seen you know i don't imagine us ever talking about thelma louise yeah yeah that one definitely not a movie we really watched as a kid or you know you know bonnie and clyde there was a movie bonnie and clyde with uh with warren Beatty, but i could kind of see us maybe talking mork and mindy but only because i watched that show as a kid on nick at night yeah yeah now nick at night is its own channel yeah (laughs) but uh before it just happened you know around 9 p.m when all the cartoons stopped 
And just some other ones to throw in there because I thought it was good. So I'm actually going to start us off with the one that I, and I believe you said you did too, had the most difficult time recasting. And that was Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, If you don't know who Jay and Silent Bob are, they were created by Kevin Smith, who actually plays the part of Silent Bob. And they're sort of second and tertiary characters that appear in almost all of his films. So in movies like Clerk, Small Rats, Dogma, Chasing Amy, they all kind of appear in there. They had their own movie, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. There is another one in the works called Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, which might be coming soon. And they were just sort of funny, silly characters. And you have Jay who talks a lot, (laughs) and obviously Silent Bob, who doesn't talk, or if he does talk, he has one sort of poignant line in the whole movie. So I'm not going to lie. This was probably the most difficult thing to recast, and I don't necessarily know that I got it right or that I even necessarily like all of my choices for for these two. Mm -hmm. I went in a sort of different direction. I'm going to go ahead and start. In a perfect world, I would get... For Jay, when he was younger, I think Chris Tucker would have been a oh. decent Jay. Yeah, I could say, oh my God, yeah. Around the time of Friday, that that <laughs> would have been a, a good one. I just thought, I was thinking, I was like, oh man, Chris Tucker would be great, but he's, he's too old now, really. So I actually, because Jay is sort of, he's comedic, but he's the straight guy. He's not funny. He's funny because he's not funny. Yeah. And so I wasn't sure which way to go with this. Um, I actually cast my Silent Bob first. Maybe it'll make sense. Like I said, I'm not really sold on it, so you may not like these anyway. So for my Silent Bob, I'll start with him. Silent Bob, I actually went with somebody who actually is really funny, but he wouldn't be talking. I actually went with Ron Funches. Okay, I do not know. Yeah, I don't know Ron Funches. Uh, He's a comedian. I saw him a lot on the show at midnight when that was on. Oh yeah, I did not like that show. I stayed away from it. Okay. <laughs> I tried it. I like Chris Hardwick, but that show I just thought was not funny. And so that's probably why I don't know him. <laughs> and I've seen him on a few other things. He's just kind of a funny guy. And so uh, for Jay, um, I actually went with a straight, just sort of a straight actor who could kind of act up the, I don't know, thuggishness of Jay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. And, and, and maybe that's not a great term to use for this. I actually, for my J, I actually went with O'Shea Jackson Jr. Oh, oh yeah. Ice Cube's son. Ice Cube's son, yeah. Uh, who, who played him really well in... Um... In Straight Outta Compton, yeah. Okay. I could, I, I, I'm okay with that. Also, I had such a fucking hard time with this. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not, yeah, okay. Good job, <laughs> O'Shea Jackson Jr. I don't know what to say <laughs> because I think you're going you're gonna to be like, Okay, on mine as well. (laughs) This casting, like, I just kept trying to think of people and I couldn't make them work Mm -hmm. at all. And so then I just tried to stick to what I know about Jay and Silent Bob is that they're they're hetero life mates. Right. That's that's one of the things that they always say, that they're they're hetero life mates, Jay and Silent Bob. So I went with, like, two people who've worked together before and they had really good chemistry. And they had, I think, chemistry that made pretty much everybody who watched the show Community think that they were the best of friends <laughs> like in real life as well. So I went with Donald Glover and Danny Putty okay. uh, who were on the show Community as Troy and Abed. And they had a fantastic dynamic on that show. And so I wanted to just try and like recreate that. Now, which one is Jay and which one is Silent Bob? <laughs> Some that I've, like, it could honestly go either way. Yeah, I kind of like Donald Glover being Jay because I think he could be very talkative and I think he would he could kind of like he could pretend 
to be, he could act up the thuggishness probably a little bit more. Danny Putty's a little bit more awkward looking, but that's kind of like works with Jay though. Yeah, that's is, true. Because Jay's really awkward, so maybe I, so maybe it might be actually good. All right, you know what? I'm gonna flip flop right right now as I think about it. Okay. Danny Putty is gonna be my Jay because he's so kind of like lanky and awkward looking, kind of like Jason Mewes is. Yeah. And Donald Glover will be my Silent Bob to where he'll just kind of like he'll be quiet and just smoke a cigarette the entire time, and then out of nowhere he'll just do one super poignant line. But their dynamic together, I know works well. Yeah. I've seen it before and so that that was my choice but yeah I again with you I just I had so much trouble with this one I think with those two actors I think you made the right choice I think Donald Glover would would do really well as Silent Bob plus it would it would be good to see Donald Glover do a scene where he has to act without actually talking well, you know he could. Oh, I know the he guy could. Is so, he's, he's so talented. The dude, the dude can do anything. He's making all of us other guys look really bad. I know. Like I, he can, he does absolutely everything. He dances, he sings, he acts, he raps. He does absolutely everything, yeah. and I can't do shit. I can barely <laughs> put my underwear without making it rip in the morning. And that's, that's it. So, all right, let's move on. I'm gonna move to uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde, famously um, criminals. From yep. I forget what real years. life, real life, the thirties from the thirties. I think I think like the, the early thirties. I think they died in nineteen thirty four. But they they were really young. I think they were in their mid twenties. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, I think I think Bonnie was around twenty four, maybe twenty three, and Clyde was only twenty five. And they were killed by police, basically just ambushed. They pulled up to like a stop, and like everyone just opened fire. And there's famous uh you know pictures of their car, which is bullet holes everywhere. You kind of imagine like guys coming out with like Tommy guns with the drum mag and just like laying into the car. But they were criminals. But it's kind of a fun, interesting story, and a, so I thought it'd be fun to recast. Uh, famously, as we mentioned, uh, done as a movie. Uh, by uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. I'm going to let you go ahead and start this one. Sure. Uh, So I really like my choice. I think I kind of try to go for the look. I also wanted people who were fairly young. Because as you mentioned, I wanted to emphasize like, because when I think of them, I think, oh, they're probably like in their mid to late 30s or something. But no, they're in their mid 20s. And so they were... They're a little bit younger, but to be those kind of badasses, I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So the first name for Clyde that came into my head was Taron Egerton. Great actor. I really did want to use him, but we've used him like, I think, five times <laughs> or something already. So I went with another actor who's really good. He's a really good actor. He was in that unfortunate, very shitty Fantastic Four film, though. But he was in one of my favorite movies of the last decade, Whiplash. Uh, that's Miles Teller. Ah. Great actor. I, he is going to be my Clyde, and my Bonnie is uh, Mia Wasikowska, who is most well-known uh, for being Alice in the Alice in Wonderland film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Recent, Tim Burton. She's got a look to her that looks so 20s to me yeah. that I think she would, she would pull it off. So I like her. She's a good actress, but so I have Miles Teller and uh, Mia Wasikowska. Both of those work, and I could totally see them in. I like both choices. I really like the 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 Mia Was- Wasikowski. Mm-hmm. I like that Wasikowski. Yeah, yeah. Wasikowski. I like that one a lot. I also wanted to go a little bit younger. I might have even gone a light a little bit younger than you did. I actually had someone come immediately to mind uh, for Clyde. I don't necessarily only think of Bonnie and Clyde as a criminal movie. It's a getaway movie. I see that as, you know, as a chase. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of scenes in a car. So I went with someone who recently did a really good movie about driving a car. And I actually went with uh, Ansel Edgort, who was Baby Driver. Oh, man. I haven't seen that one. I really want to see that film. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So I did. Uh, I chose him as uh, as my Clyde. I like his look. Um, yeah, I I like that call. Yeah, he looks he looks like he could be kind of 
badass and you put him in the right attire, yeah, you know what? That's that's a good choice. And he is young. He is pretty. He's definitely younger than my choices. But that works. Like it, that would really emphasize that little bit of history that we didn't realize how young they are. And for my Bonnie, um, I also went with a, um, a young lady who looks really young. She's done actually kind of a lot of darker horror-y type stuff lately. Like she was in The Witch. Uh, she was uh, in Split a couple years ago with um, mm-hmm. James McAvoy. Um, and I actually chose Anya Taylor-Joy as my Bonnie. I have not seen anything she's in, including Split. Yeah, I haven't seen any of this stuff, but... I like the look of her. Uniqueish features a little bit. Nothing crazy, but yeah, she could totally she could totally look like she belongs in that era. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these I think just like Bonnie and Clyde, if the look is right, unless the actor is just like way off base, I can't imagine like it's going to be a lot of sort of congenial choices. Mhm. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, let's do Thelma and Louise. Really good movie from the 80s, 90s? I can't remember. It's 91. 91, okay. Uh, starred uh, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, and uh, young Brad Pitt was also in it as well. Looking good. Yeah, he looked pretty ripped in that movie too. So I thought, about, you know, what would be a fun remake? Um, and I'll go ahead and jump in with mine. You could almost put anyone, especially if you reset it to modern times. Not that that wasn't modern times. You, you really could put any two girls that got to have some sort of, sort of chemistry together. Thelma is a little... I remember from a little bit of the story, like Thelma is kind of like the, the house. She was kind of like housewife-ish a little bit. Right. And she kind of gets, you know, pulled into this situation by the more outspoken, the more loud uh, Louise, who is Susan Sarandon's character. A little bit, a little bit older, but not much, but like that kind of thing. Yeah. So I went with two actresses that have been in great movies. They've been in great TV shows. They're both mostly known for being comedic, but I think that could work to their advantage in this. I chose... For Thelma, I chose Rashida Jones. Oh, okay. Who was in uh, Parks and Rec. And for Louise, I went with Kristen Wiig. Okay. Yeah. Two very strong comedic actresses right there. I don't, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be one of those casting where it's going to be hard for me to like fully hate your choices. <laughs> right. Unless you give me someone ridiculous who I think has no acting prowess that I'm totally fine with that. I think that the, those could work. Yeah. I Thumbs up, John. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. And you'll probably say the same about mine. So I went with a, a well-established actress. She's she's very good. I remember her most from Dawson's Creek. She was also in Brokeback Mountain. So my Louise, who was Susan Sarandon's character, I chose Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. Really good actress. For my Thelma, who is a little bit more of like, you know, uh, impressionable, but like the housewife, but nice as the Gina Davis character. She's a comedic actress, but she could also be, I think she can do anything. I've seen her do everything. That's Emma Stone. Okay. So I... I went with Michelle Williams and Emma Stone. I have a feeling they could probably have some pretty good chemistry on screen as well. The, both of them could work. They're both good actresses. There's, <laughs> I know. But, there's, yeah. there's, no, there's really not much sense in there. They're both good choices. I wonder what, if we'll find one thing that we hate like on this one. If there's, you know, I don't know if you're if you're Batman, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, we have a couple more. Let's do Mork and Mindy. This was actually one I had a little bit tougher time figuring out. And I'm not entirely sold especially on my Mindy because I think I may have gone a little too comedic because she is more of sort of the straight man in the in this duo yeah because famously uh, Mork was played by Robin Williams and a lot of people don't realize that that character actually came from the TV show Happy Days oh oh you know what? I do remember that but I thought it was I thought that happened like afterwards or something. That no. It was like a cameo or some shit. No, okay. they created the character for um, for Happy Days for just a, like a one-off and had Robin Williams do it. And then they the character apparently became so popular that they just created a show <laughs> for Mork and Mindy. 
Oh, very cool. So again, I think I'm going to jump in first with this one. Really hard time. I mean, we don't have another Robin Williams right now. Yeah. You just can't replace him. And 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 yes, we have we have definitely good improvisers out there, but it's just that personality. You know, a lot of the characters that Robin Williams does, especially in the really comedic stuff, just seems like it's him. Mm-hmm. And Mork was probably him on cocaine, but <laughs> <laughs> lots of cocaine. So I, but I, again, I had a really hard time with this one. And you may or may not agree with my mork and i may or may not agree with my mork actually so for this one for my mork i actually went with andy samberg oh fuck i didn't even think about him but i actually i think he fits really well i i'm not a big andy samberg fan but honestly he kind of he kind of works that's the thing i'm not really a huge andy samberg fan either but his personality seemed to kind of fit the best of everyone i could think of into that role i think i think he does a lot of coke and i think it works <laughs> because that's probably that's probably fit yeah <laughs> For for my Mindy, uh, I went with a, a comedic actress who's who's got a kind of a hit sitcom right now, and she can kind of be both comedic and straightish as as she needs to be. She was famously uh, just got divorced from Chris Pratt. I picked Anna Faris. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's got her very popular show Mom or something. Yeah. I think is what it is. Uh, yeah, I, I like Anna Faris. She is pretty comedic, but that's I mean this is a comedy show, so I think that works well. Yeah, she could be she could play the straight girl. Yeah, I kind I quite like your choices. Oh, on that. thank you. Let's see if you like mine. I'll start off with my Mindy. Uh, So my Mindy, it's a comedy show, so I chose an actress who does comedies. But she also, she kind of plays the innocent straight person pretty often, particularly when she was in The Office. Uh, I went with Ellie Kemper. She's kind of quiet and uh, she's very innocent uh, in kind of like her shows. But I think she's really cute. She's adorable. And Mindy is kind of like, you know, somewhat innocent dealing with, with Mork's insanity. So that's why I like Ellie Kemper in that role. I have to admit, I never watched The Office. I okay. actually didn't like it, and I, I saw she was also in Bridesmaids. I never saw Bridesmaids either. So, um, <laughs> and did you ever? Did you see Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Never saw that either. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. she. I mean, just looking at her, at pictures of her, she could work. I mean, I can't say anything bad because I don't really know her work. You don't all know. That. I don't know her that work. The that John well. Seal of approval. Yep. yep. <laughs> Uh, okay, I I think she's a good fit for the reasons I already okay. mentioned. So, and my Mork, I like my Mork. I'm surprisingly taken aback about how much I like your Mork as well. <laughs> but I like, I think I like mine. I like him pretty damn good too. He was on Saturday Night Live for a good little while. I don't think he is anymore. He is really good at impressions and Robin Williams did some impressions. And so I, so I think this guy would work really well as well. He's obviously a good improver because he was on Saturday Night Live. I went with Jay Farrow as my Mork. I think he does enough kind of voice stuff. And like with Mork in particular, Robin Williams used a lot of different voices and a lot of like of his funkiness that I think Jay Farrell would do a fantastic job as my Mork. Again, I don't know if I've ever seen his work. I don't remember <laughs> from Saturday Night Live either. Damn, I, haven't, was... I haven't really watched Saturday Night Live. And so, I mean, I can't say that you're that he's bad or good. I mean, he's probably just as good and he could probably work. Yeah. Yeah, well, we both chose Saturday Night Live alum. Yeah, because uh, Andy Samberg as well. That's funny. It seemed like it seemed like the logical choice to go with someone from SNL who could probably do the mm-hmm. comedic and, and stuff. I can't say anything good or bad because I don't really know his work. But his I've... impressions are so fucking good. I highly recommend okay. just checking him out. I think that's why I think he particularly he would kind of be be good. I'm sure he'd be good. Andy Samberg would be the bigger name. Yeah, definitely for that. But I I'm gonna I mean I can't say anything bad or good. So. All right, and our last one. This is our last hope to have anybody the same. <laughs> this is, we have 10, 10 people we're casting total, and I don't think we're going to have anybody the I same. I agree. The dynamic duo themselves, 
Batman and Robin. I kind of took the last two, so I'm going to let you start in with this one. Okay. We did cast Robin before in our Teen Titans review, but I used somebody totally different because I wanted to go a little bit younger. I kind of wanted, when I think Teen Titans, I think of like more, you know, Robin, but he's like almost to Nightwing. Right. If I was going to do Dick Grayson or like a Tim Drake, or I'm kind of doing, maybe I'm doing more Batman and and Tim Drake uh, Robin right now, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter. Um, So for my... Robin, I went with uh, a kid who was in the movie It. So he's got some chops. He's a good actor. His name is Jaden Lieberher. Lieber, Lieberher. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it exactly. But he, I think, totally has a look. You know, he could totally be uh, a Robin. And being in It, you know, I know he's got some good acting chops. And my Batman, I really like this choice. When Batfleck is done, and I am totally fine with him being done anytime soon because I don't love his stuff. But he's fine. He's fine as a Batman. I don't dislike him. I liked him in Justice League. Yeah. You know, I like Justice League. was a fine movie. I actually really liked Aquaman the most in Justice League. But anyway, this is not an Aquaman review. Uh, <laughs> so my Batman... I went with an actor who blew me away when you only saw the bottom of his face in the remake of the movie Dread. He did a great Mm. job. I chose Carl Urban as my new Batman. He has, and particularly it's the Dread performance that really made me think that he could do a kick-ass Batman. I love that choice. I love Carl Urban as Batman. I love Carl Urban as Batman. And I I get the feeling that you're kind of, you're going for sort of a serious Dark Knight style Batman. Absolutely. I don't mind your choice of of Jaden Lieberherr. He's got those boyish looks. He looks like a young Robin. He does. He could probably work well. I think for the style that you're obviously going for, I think those are great choices. Okay, cool. I went in a different direction. <laughs> Did you go Adam West I went, Ward style? I went Adam oh, West shit. style. I imagined my Batman and Robin as a sitcom. Oh, more holy of a sitcom. shit. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, I went I went more sort of back to the campy. I kind of imagined it more as, honestly, maybe a half-hour sitcom. Yeah, where your Batman just has a little bit of a pudge on him. Just a <laughs> tiny bit with like that uh, spandexy kind of suit. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. I love yep. it. So I actually had a lot harder time picking a Robin for this than I, I did a Batman. Batman came to me pretty quickly. So for I'm going to start with my Robin. For Robin, since it's a little bit more funny, I wanted somebody who, who had worked on some sitcoms and to do that was young but not too young. So I actually went with the actor Troy Gentile or Gentile. I'm not sure how you say it. He's on the show The Goldbergs. He plays the older brother. Um, he's very okay. kooky and silly on that show and a little weird, but I think he could probably pull off a, a young, uh, or kind of a Dick Grayson-y role. Okay. I, yeah, I've never seen Goldberg, or the Goldberg, so I, I can't speak to it, but okay. All right, so for my Batman, I picked someone who is actually not known as a TV actor. They're definitely known as a film actor, but they're definitely known for their comedic roles. I love this guy. There's only a small handful of things I've really seen him in, you know, mainstream, but this guy is one of my favorites. I loved him in Liar Liar. I loved him in Hot Shots, and I loved him in The Princess Bride. My Batman is Carrie Elwes. I don't know what Carrie Elwes would, he would need... Last time I saw him, he's got a little bit bigger. Uh, he would probably need to trim down. Yes, he he would. Because I actually, yeah, which you can, which is very possible. Yeah, very possible to do. Not hard. He's he's campy. He, he he can totally be campy. I don't I don't hate it. I think maybe. Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you can have an older Batman because there's been very successful older Batmans. So he doesn't need to be 
all that young. Right. And he's not even... So I, I don't hate it. If someone's going to pull off the camp that Adam West did so well, right. he's a good choice. He's a good choice for your style. Yes. I, d- I don't... I, it's hard for me to envision him as Batman because my Carl Urban would be so serious. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of Carrie Elwes doing it. But your style is so different than mine. But it works. I'm, yeah. I, yeah, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Okay. I'm thinking more Adam West than anything. Yeah, not not even I don't hate it. I like it for your style. Okay. I do. It's just our styles are so different that we were thinking of for sure. Yep. All right. And that was our famous duos casting. Please join us next time for a back to school episode. We break down and recast Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And by special request from MusicMan214 on Instagram, we will be reviewing Saved by the Bell. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at blast past cast on both facebook and twitter so until next time i'm john and i'm adam and thanks for joining us see you next time